Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Mostly Weather podcast. My name's Doug McNeil and today I am joined uh, by podcast regulars Jeff Norwood-Brown. Hello. And Catherine Ross from the Archives. Hello. And today our special guest is Alex Deacon. Hi Alex. Hello. And today we're talking about the Great Storm of 1987. So just before we get started, Alex, do you, just, um, you haven't been introduced to the Mostly Weather podca- podcast before. Could you explain what you do here at the Met Office? Sure. Um, my official title is Senior Presenter here at, the, here at the Met Office. I am a meteorologist, trained meteorologist, and of course I've worked for many years at, at the BBC where I was a presenter. But even at my time at the BBC, I was always working for the Met Office. So I've actually worked for the Met Office for, for 20 years. So uh, yeah, I've, I've a fair bit of experience of, of how things work. But the this is my first time on the podcast, so yeah, thanks for having well, me. Well, it's really nice to have you here. Thanks for coming. So, uh, I thought we'd start with some memories. Um, who remembers? Obviously, Jeff, you were too young to remember the great storm of 1987. <laughs> no, no? I was, well, I was aware of the media coverage, um, but I was living on Merseyside at the time, and uh, so it really didn't impact us as much as it did, uh, you know, the southern counties. So, it was all a bit of a Nothing to us in the north. Really. Were you a weather geek by then already? I've or? always been a weather geek. I thought I, I suspected as much. <laughs> yeah. So you must have you must have focused on it. But you remember the the coverage as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean the coverage. But I think because it impacted um, a lot of uh, places in London as well, um, and obviously the media was based in London then. Uh, there was a huge amount of coverage, which left quite a few of us bit baffled in the north as to what was going on but it was obviously quite a significant event I mean hence we're still talking about it 30 years later. Absolutely how about you Catherine? Uh, Well I was five um, but I do actually remember it um, because uh, we had relatively recently moved back from Bermuda which is a hurricane zone and so my parents kind of heard the winds and thought oh you know these are quite strong winds something might happen here um and i remember them waking me up taping the windows up so that if anything hit them the windows oh, wouldn't smash in yeah, oh yeah um and then we all went and slept down to the dining room table for the night that so, sounds like a pretty serious but, evening well oh, i lived goodness. on the isle of Wight on top of a hill so yeah. we actually got quite strong winds coming at us and we did lose fences and tiles and things like that it was it was an interesting evening okay <laughs> wow Perhaps we'll come back to that later. How about you, Alex? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was also up north uh, in Yorkshire, and I was thirteen at the time. And yeah, again, don't really remember because the impacts. Although the low itself just passed to the south, out into the North Sea of us, all the strong winds were on the southern flank of it. So all the strong winds were were much further south. I remember seeing the news coverage and the, you know the dramatic pictures of the millions of trees down. But actually, it's had more of an impact on my life later. Not only joined the Met Office, but I, I married a girl from Seven Oaks, uh, and oh, of okay. course, Seven Oaks was famously you know lost six of its oaks. Okay. And uh, it became oak, and now it's eight oaks, of course, because they replanted seven. I was there just a couple of weeks ago, and actually, it's remarkable how in 30 years trees grow, and now they all look about the same size. Oh, we got the trees again, yeah. Yeah, but my father-in-law tells this great story of actually heading out to Luton that morning. He was in Seven Oaks, he had to go to Luton, and he set off at five o'clock in the morning, just after really the worst of the storms. Uh, It was still blowing, uh, yeah, hooly, as they say, and there was trees down everywhere. It took about four different detours. And it wasn't until he was about a mile away, but he'd been driving for about half an hour. He, and he, he went over some 
power cables. You drove over some power cables. Whoa. It wasn't until that point you thought, hmm, this is probably not sensible. And he turned simple. round and went and went home again. Oh, wow, that sounds like really good advice. I, I mean, I understand, <laughs> yeah. I understand there was a significant number of deaths in the, in the storm. Yeah, right? that was 22, a, the, 22 the, okay. the attribute to the storm. 18 in the UK really and 4 in France. In France as well. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's, it's a really serious event. And, um, and, and just, I guess, to complete the set, I, I grew up in the south of England, just in, uh, in, in West Dorset. And I remember it. I was eight years old, I guess. Um, I, I remember uh, our power went down and we were out because I lived in a small village on a, down a weird sort of trunk line uh, on the electricity. We were out for six days, no electricity wow. for six oh, days. Geez. I remember That's quite a while. being in school assembly and saying, is anybody, you know, the, the teacher said, is anybody still off, off grid? And I put my hand up and everybody else was back on the grid. But um, I do, we had an open fire that heated uh, hot water. So that was fine. Yeah. And um, we cooked toast on the open fire in the morning. It was a very strong <laughs> oh, wow. memory. Uh, but it was a, a pretty serious impact. Okay. I mean, I think. I mean, one of, one of the things I remember is one of my colleagues who was working at Boscombe Down, uh, one of the airfields that the, has a Met Office um, base there, and they said it was terrifying that night because all the planes were being blown around and turned upside down, and the Met Office observer um, actually spent the night under the desk because he just thought <laughs> something's going to come through the window very soon. You yeah. know, and he couldn't leave because, you know, it was too dangerous to go outside. So like, you want Catherine's parents on, you know. Yeah, <laughs> they could have, yeah that would have been useful. They knew what to do, and that, yes. was, that was amazing. So, so perhaps we ought to um, just... Uh, Jeff, I, I understand you're probably uh, most qualified here to talk about... Um, <laughs> about what happened during the storm and sort of the, the, the time... Um, uh, the timeline of events, basically, and well, meteorologically as well. Yeah, I mean, can I just say, and this is this is a little bugbear of mine. It wasn't a hurricane. It wasn't a hurricane. Wasn't okay. a hurricane. Why wasn't it a hurricane? Well, hurricanes are basically um, they're formed over uh, the tropics. Uh, normally, uh, starts as a thunderstorm coming off West Africa, then they move across the Atlantic towards uh, uh, the Caribbean and uh, and uh, America. And we've, um, seen, we've seen it; it's been a particularly we, we, busy hurricane this season, year. Yeah. yeah, as we're recording this in 2017, it has been. Uh, there's been a huge amount of devastating hurricanes um, headed over that way. But it, basically, a hurricane is sustained by sea surface temperatures of 26 degrees uh, uh, or above. Um, and they fuel the thunderstorms, which form yeah, the central core. The, the eye of the storm, if you like, is just a circular, uh, a ring of thunderstorms, if you like. Now, if I know the media like to use the word hurricane because there were hurricane-strength winds within that storm. Um, but if you think we had sea surface temperature of 26 degrees in October in 1987 <laughs> off Cornwall... <laughs> it's going to take some global warming. Yes, that happen, that's, it? Uh, yeah. yeah, it seriously wasn't. I mean, I, I'm really splitting hairs here, but it, it's basically because in the Met Office, a hurricane is a very specific thing. Um, and what we had was a, a, was a really vicious low pressure. Um, it was accompanied by something called a sting jet, which I won't go into too much because... Um, and, but up until 1987, nobody knew anything about sting jets. And if you look at all the research, if you go online and look up sting jets and all the research, all the research started in 1987 onwards so because we simply didn't know that these things existed. existed. Okay, so this was the particularly damaging sort of small area of winds. Is that right? It's it's like a, a really vicious downdraft. So it's a, a descending um, uh a column of air and of course when it when it hits the surface when it hits the ground it spreads out and gives you very very strong winds okay okay so alex um that sounds um 
a, quite a rare phenomenon. Have you have you come across that? Yeah, the, they are you? pretty rare. Um, I, I there was a big discussion about the St. Hughes Day storm actually in 2013, and whether well that not did or didn't have a sting yet, because again it's been an ongoing area of research. You just don't get that many examples of them because you have to have a very vigorous area of low pressure. And just to go back to Jeff's point, yeah, before before 87, people just assumed the strongest winds were tied into the gradient, the pressure, and, and actually on the weather fronts because often you get strong gusts on a cold front. But this happened behind the cold front, and that's one of the reasons why it's called a sting jet. Actually, look at the, look at the circulation, it looks like a little sting in the tail, and that's, okay. that's where it gets its name from. Um, so they are pretty rare. So it is an ongoing area of research. Um, but yeah, there's, there's evidence to suggest that the St. Jude's Day storm in 2013 had one, but obviously not as intense. Okay. Um, so so uh, this was overnight, wasn't it? So, so the, the track of the storm, is, we perhaps saw it uh, 24 hours out or 48 hours out or... Not quite that long. Or we didn't <laughs> it, was see actually, it? it was actually quite. It was, one of the problems was it, it came up from the south, which yeah. is a, a strange direction anyway. So it was actually a, a series of little low pressures on a waving weather front. Okay. The first of couple of which didn't really do much damage, but this last one developed explosively. It was a weather bomb, you know, because the position of the jet stream, everything was just right in the atmosphere for this thing to develop. Um, we were sort of aware of the massive cloud, and we knew there was a low pressure system. And actually, earlier in the week, so this storm happened Thursday night into Friday morning, okay. and on the Sunday, we'd been talking about a wet and windy spell at the end of the week. The farmer's forecast on the BBC had talked about a wet and windy spell. And even on the Monday and Tuesday, we were still saying, yeah, it's going to get very wet and windy. It was actually, the forecast changed midweek, Wednesday, Thursday. When, and the reason for that is actually we started using a, a fine mesh model. Back in the day, we had two computer models, the global model, um, that ran out to six days ahead. And then for UK purposes, we had a, a finer mesh, which in theory gives more detail and is a better forecasting tool. Um, and that only runs out to 36 hours. And the, the reason there's the difference is because computer power. So you, obviously to have a smaller mesh, a smaller yeah. grid, calculation. you need more calculations. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that only runs out to T plus 36. So actually, we got close to the time, the forecasters become more reliant or use the, the finer mesh because it's supposed to give more detail. But actually, through a number of processes, a number of reasons, it, it didn't in this case. And it took the storm further south uh, and into France. And so we became more worried about rainfall because although the low was going to hit France, there'd still be rain on its northern flank. And again, just some history. There'd been flooding uh, in the weeks before in October in the south, which is one of the reasons why so many trees went down. Because oh, the ground okay. was already preconditioned, the ground was already Sorry. wet. We were worried about rainfall. The storm itself looked like it was going to hit France and not as bad because of these fine mesh computer models. So actually, the forecast changed and got worse as we got closer to the time. Okay, that's interesting from yeah. my perspective as a, a, a to have this more detailed model yeah. not give. Uh, th- as correct a prediction yeah. perhaps as a... As a and and the forecast at the time would be relying on that. And yeah. There's no reason for them to think that it wouldn't. It wouldn't but of course, we, don't yeah. have, we didn't have then what we have now, the ensemble runs, where the, where the computer runs several different types. Oh, okay, just one so run. You, you just have one run. It's ah, very black okay. and white. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is the... And they have to say whether they're going to go with it or they're not going to go with it. Okay. And crucially, at the time, the fine mesh model um, had an earlier cutoff so actually, the, the data assimilation, the put it, the, to make a forecast, you need to know what the weather's doing right now. Yeah. It needs to build a picture of what the weather's doing right now. And the cutoff for the data going into that was actually uh, earlier by about an hour compared to the global model. And it, it's thought that it crucially, because of that hour earlier cutoff time, missed a couple of really key observations out in the Bay of Biscay. So from I was going to say, what, what data is going into the, into the global model and the regional model at that time? At that, well, information from buoys and 
um, ships in the Bay of Biscay. So, we've been cruise so pressure observations, uh, pressure observations, and, and and stuff from aeroplanes, few aeroplanes that we had. But of course, nowadays you've got many more observations and satellites. Of course, back yep. in the day, yes, there were satellites, but none of the satellite information was being fed into the supercomputers then in 87. Whereas okay, now and we that's have. a technology issue, was exactly. it? There, there, not as many satellites, not as, as, no internet, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. And we just didn't have the number of... So one of the key things that we did after 87 was the Met Office just set up a whole lot of new boys out in the, out in the Bay of Biscay so that, so that we wouldn't miss a storm like this again. Okay, and, and, and that's where a lot of our weather comes from, right? Is, is, is the, um, yeah, yes, it does, but but mostly more with these kind of Where storms are often more just more, more due west, and that was again okay. another factor why so many trees went down is the direction of the wind. It was more southerly, whereas a lot of our winds come in from west or southwest. But actually, with this storm, because of its track, yeah. the direction was only only a few degrees, but it was much more southerly. So trees that are more used to being battered from the west are actually being hit more from the south, and that's why so many more trees went down. Okay, okay. Um, so I understand as well that there may be some historical analogues there. We can kind of understand the storm and its impacts in, in the analogues um, in the past. And, and I know, you, Catherine, uh, you've been looking at one of the great storms in the early part of the 18th century. Yeah, um, over in the archive, we've got loads and loads of stuff on 1987. We've got you know, all those fine mesh models that you were talking about, Alex. And we've got some really early images of the, of the sting jet. We've got um, wet fax images of, that, of, of those satellite images, which is you know, quite, quite early stuff, Wet actually. fax? Could yes. you explain that? <laughs> okay, so wet fax was a, um, an early type of... Um, Photocopier, fax machine, um, but it took about an hour to produce an image. Um, and we got, I think, two, we got, but we've got all of the ones that existed, which gave us one before the storm and one after the storm, basically, um, because they just didn't come through very often. Um, but they are quite interesting images because you can see that sting in the tail quite clearly on them. Um, and what we've also got is, yes, data relating to sort of other comparable storms or um, storms that might be comparable and particularly uh, 1987 is often compared with the great storm of 1703 you'll note they're both called the great storm for a start um I'm, I'm imagining our weather observing network wasn't quite as good as 1703. <laughs> um, so what kind of what kind of what kind of information are you talking about here, Catherine? Yeah, so uh, the Met Office was formed in 1854. So no, there's nothing kind of even remotely Met Office related here. Um, but what we do have is a really important book by the author Daniel Defoe, um, who's better I've heard that name before. Yeah, yeah, he's he's better known for Robertson Crusoe, um, but uh, he he wrote a book called The Storm. And in that, he collected together a whole load of different letters and observations that other people, that he just basically said, anybody has experienced it, send me information. And he then just published a book, which was all of these different people's experiences of the storm. A lot of it was to do with London, but you know, there was also sort of across the, you know, the, the South. Um, and the reason why 1703 and 1807 are, tend to be compared is because they both affected broadly the same area. Um, so they sort of they had damaging effects across southern Britain, um, and in terms of cost, you know, literally rebuilding properties and things like that, they were both very expensive storms. Uh, much greater loss of life in 1703, perhaps inevitably. Um, well, well, that, that's huge interesting. Flooding in, in Bristol. Yeah, but because nowadays we have huge amounts of infrastructure, don't we? So I, I'd imagine that damage would be much larger now or in the late part of the 20th century. Um, but you, you, you think people. People, individuals were more at risk, were they, back in the, back in the, the 18th century? 
Um, I think in part it's just that their properties were probably not as strong as properties are now, so they just tended to collapse a bit faster. Um, but also, but you know, properties were. You know, sometimes people say you can't compare 1703 because the buildings wouldn't have been as substantial. So you know, you, you can't say that they would have been similar damage, um, which is why we tend to look at London because London what did have well-built properties, and you can compare. You know the red brick buildings then well they're still standing now in some yeah. cases you know they're, they're well they're strong buildings the palace of westminster st james's palace mm. um and yet they had chimneys collapsing roofs torn off they they lost the roof of the palace of westminster queen anne had to hide in the basement of st james's palace because oh, yeah. the chimneys were falling down through it's like the you under this it's like you yeah, under, under the table, under the table. <laughs> um so you know you can compare i think you can compare them more than you might think because the the buildings are actually quite substantial when we're looking at them yeah and then those buildings still yeah. exist is there any evidence of what time of day it was in 1703 because that was crucial with 87 of course yeah as far as i'm aware it came through overnight it did come so similar yeah. timing okay yeah, okay because timing. it thought that there would have been many more lives lost in 87 if it happened during the day okay, it happened through the night when, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, so and, that and was one of the good things about the storm, huge, the timing of it. Was the timing, of, yeah. I guess, a huge disruption to tr- transport. There would be, uh, there was anyway, but there, it would have been when people were out and about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, D- Defoe mentions that sort of people woke up to, uh, and couldn't believe, they thought they were going to see uh, devastation, but they couldn't believe what they did see when wow. they opened the doors, yeah. okay. if the doors were left. Um, <laughs> yeah, incredible. Okay, and, and um, there was perhaps later that we talked about the St. Jude's Day storm as well, and we've... Um, when was uh, St. Jude's Day? It was recently, wasn't it? 2013, yeah. Okay. It, was in, it was in October 2013. The amazing thing about that was the Met Office issued a warning for that storm five days in advance. The computer models were suggesting it ten days in advance. And, uh, and bear in mind, we issued the, the, the warning five days ahead. The storm hadn't even formed. You know, it's, it's one of those storms that, that forms two or three days before and just really intensifies as it, as it hit like 87 did. So the computers are picking up on these things that aren't physically there yet. Yeah, so, we, so the, the conditions are right to, to set off a storm and then it happens and then it actually happens and we issued the warning five days ahead which meant the infrastructure you know train companies were able to cancel services and everyone was much better prepared for it because of the because of the warnings uh, another similar storm was the um the burns night storm a bit uh, it was only a couple of few years later wasn't it yeah. 1990 was it Nine, yeah i think it was 90 yeah, yeah. and that was a comparable storm but it was a bit further north uh where again they get more free but actually it's thought that that cost more money actually the price on that was because it caused more um more more problems to properties property okay okay so so um so immediately after the the 1987 storm what lessons did we learn so we, we talked a little bit about this but what lessons did we learn and how did things change how did the thinking of the met office uh, and the forecasting systems uh, changed how did the technology change and uh, you know how much better prepared are we for this sort of thing now well, the, the the first thing, as I hinted at earlier, was that actually, you know, right, we need more observations out in the Bay of Biscay where it was too sparse, and that was that was a crucial factor. So that was one thing we did straight away. Another thing, we started to issue warnings. We did not issue warnings before 1987, so that was another big learning point. And those are those feel like they're completely integrated into everyday life. Completely, you know, the, yeah. The officers yes. issued a warning, yes. a weather warning. But it, even they've evolved quite dramatically, particularly in, in more recent years. We just issued, used to just issue flash warnings about when severe weather was going to hit, and then we changed to the to the to the colour system now that people recognise the green, yellow, amber, and red. Uh, and then even more recently than that, we changed to a more impact based, which is crucial because a 70 mile an hour wind in northwest 
West Scotland uh, doesn't cause the same damage as a 70 mile an hour wind in southeast England. So it's all about impacts. And this is the kind of thing that we would have thought about now compared to 87. Oh, yes, we'd have known that, that the ground was wet. Uh, and so, again, the more trees are more likely to come down, there's more likely to be a greater impact. And it, it, that's the, that's a crucial difference that the Met Office do now. You talked about an ensemble earlier. I mean, mm. You talked about um, the fact that you get more than one yeah. model run. So, yes. so we're talking about probabilities yes, now exactly. as well. So do those uh, do the probability of an event or the probability of the impact of an event, does that go into the Absolutely. into the warnings as well? Yeah, completely, completely. And the chief forecasters are looking at this all the time, all the number of different solutions. So whereas, whereas back in the day, you know, you'd have one model run that says, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to get hit by a storm. And then six hours later, the new model runs said, oh, we're not going to get hit by a storm. You, you wouldn't just flip-flop between those forecasts anymore. You'd have a sort of a suggestion, oh, actually more of the model runs are taking it further south or further north. And then then as a, as a broadcaster, as a presenter of meteorology, you've got then, you then can couch that to the viewer and say, oh, yes, it looks now as if it's going a bit further south. But there's still a risk that it could be further north. And please stay tuned to the forecast. And you, you get all that messaging out there and it all is encompassed in the warnings as well. And that's why we have the, the grid box on the warning system as well, where it's uh, low likelihood uh, up to very high likelihood. And that couches, again, what colour the warning is. OK, so, so something that's um, a low probability event, but perhaps really impactful, would, yeah. might come up sort of amber or red. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be red. Red is only for very high likelihood sort of, of a very high... OK, a gotcha. very high, Yeah, yeah. Red's, the red's the very top. Very, red warnings are very, very rare. OK. Um, I mean, something like the 87 storm, we'd obviously issue a red warning for, but um, in the, the days before, two or three days before, it would probably be amber. And it's when it goes amber that we name it, of course. So okay. that's another development that we now do, again, to get the message out there. So we'd name the storm, it would be amber, and then, you know, two days so, before. So day why before do we name the storms now? Why? Well, it's to get the message out. It's, it's, it's basically we found that there's much better interaction uh, with the public and they, they, can, they can relate to it and... Track it? Well, they can track it, yeah, yeah, and, and more importantly, get the message out through social media, you can hashtag it, you know, it sounds a bit a bit crude and a bit crass, but actually, you know, we're in the business of getting the message across to people as much as we can mm-hmm. to help save lives and help save property, so if we can put a hashtag, Storm Aileen, and that raises awareness, then then it, and it, it's proven to do so over the last three years, this pilot scheme that we've been, we've been running is now sort of taken that, off. That's another huge difference, isn't it? Uh, in 1987, yeah. the forecast was at the end of the six o'clock news, and that was it. Whereas now you can access a forecast whenever you want. I can push notifications for weather warnings to my phone. So exactly. It, my so phone actually I. says yeah. hi. Yeah. yeah. Remember being a weather nerd? Yeah. Yeah. Get all those. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. So people can access all this information anytime they want now. Uh, whereas back in the day, yeah, back in a handful of TV broadcasts, a yeah. handful of radio broadcasts, and that was it. And that was it. What well, set times during the day, whereas now in your phone, you've got the Met Office app and it's got the warnings on it. And that leads us nicely on to thinking about perhaps one of the more famous forecasts or uh, in history, uh, the Michael Fish forecast. Infamous. 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 Yeah, okay. infamous. That's a much better word. Thank you. Um, Alex, I understand you spoke recently to Michael Fish. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I know Mike pretty well. I worked with him at yeah. the BBC for five or six years before he retired. And uh, yeah, he was good enough to come to come to the office. And you here really got to, to talk through this. Yeah, we had, a, we had a good little chat about, about what was going on and what happened and the reasons behind it and stuff like that. Um, you can see that on the Met Office uh, website if you want to see that chat. Um, but one of the key things that struck me actually was how slow the reaction was and how actually it, 
he was on shift that morning. So that broadcast, the the, the non-hurricane, was at lunchtime on the Thursday. The storm hit overnight. That overnight, night. okay. He was back on shift the next day. He said it had been a, you know been a bit of a windy night, but nothing too. And he, he came in and was pretty oblivious of it, even until he went home at the end of that shift. You know, bits and pieces of information were were feeding in. It wasn't until he got home. Uh, and later that evening that the press was sort of on his doorstep and this is now a Friday evening and uh, and that's when that's when he really realised but that's you know 12, 18 hours after so the no event no rolling news no exactly know, exactly not- whereas nowadays you know you'd know about it before you went in you'd be like I mean you, you wouldn't do that lunchtime broadcast <laughs> the next day if you'd messed up that badly because you'd, you know someone else would have stepped into stepped the shoes, in. but, okay. uh, yeah yeah so that was from that was memory I, I remember him saying um, uh, 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 a viewer had yes. rung in and said, uh, there's a hurricane on the way. And his words were something along the lines of, well, I can assure you there isn't, but it is going to turn very windy. Yes. But you never get to see the, no, but it they, is going to turn <laughs> very they do, windy. They do clip that bit off. They do clip that bit off. So the hurricane, was that referencing the, the, the winds that were coming, the storm that was coming to the UK, no, or was no, it something it's, else? It's a, it's, a, it's a story that sort of drifted through time. I mean, Mike tells a story uh, as if it was complete phantom and no one had rung in he was actually referencing a hurricane that was near uh, florida or in, in the caribbean certainly and one of the floor managers uh, had asked him about it because they had relatives over there and they were worried about a genuine hurricane it's hurricane season of course october so yeah. they were worried about a genuine hurricane out in there uh, and he'd phoned them to reassure them that they'd be okay because he looked on the on the american been in contact with the americans and and sort of so he was phone, and he just got that in his head but he he couldn't he's he said he couldn't say on air oh i've phoned someone because you weren't like the bbc wouldn't have looked kindly on him phoning the united states on their <laughs> phone bill <laughs> so he yeah. said yeah he just made this whole story up about someone uh, phoning in so there was there was no there was no woman so yeah. there was definitely okay that's fascinating yeah. so it was definitely the the that's the bit of the clip that's always played. Yes. Right? You get that. And you don't get the second half of, no. but it's going to be really windy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, let's... It wasn't a hurricane. But it wasn't a, and it wasn't a hurricane. <laughs> it wasn't a hurricane. So he was technically right. And he did talk about some strong winds. But let, I mean, let's be honest, the forecast was poor. Let's not try and... But again, it's not necessarily Mike's fault. There was, you know, that was the forecast coming to him. He was just the mouthpiece. I remember a very dishevelled Ian McGaskill. I've never seen Ian McGaskill unshaved before uh, being harassed by, I think it was Michael Burke uh, the next day. And uh, I think Michael Burke was trying to blame him for the storm. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was almost, a, it's your fault, yeah. you know. But uh, um, but yeah, they were only going on the information that they had available at the time. There know? was a lot of poor press coverage initially, certainly, understandably. But a lot of, the, a lot, some of it was misled because actually um, there was there was a story going around the press that actually the French had forecast it and lots of other, that's simply not true there's no there is no evidence to suggest that our forecast was any better or worse than any any other uh, met service around the world and actually it wasn't until um i think it was a press conference or something on the saturday or the sunday i was talking about and after that the press were much more forgiving and understanding a little bit about it i mean yeah so uh, there was a there was a bit of confusion but initially on yeah initially the first reaction was why weren't we warned and all and all that which i can see so so this Mm. is um it's led to basically a revolution in the yeah. communication. Would you Absolutely. say is is the more important point, yes. or as well as all the technology? We've I think it's about. everything. I mean, I think the th- the thing is, it's been thirty years, and everything has changed. The science has changed. You know, we didn't know about sting jets. We do now. The technology has changed. The supercomputer power has changed, and the way we communicate 
has changed. We educate the public now. Even 10 years ago, the public were really not that aware of what a jet stream is. But now we talk about it reasonably frequently. That's because we can. You, know, you wouldn't just talk about, if you would watch a TV broadcast, you couldn't just talk about the jet stream because people would lose interest and they would just want to know what the weather's doing. But with the branch of social media, with things like podcasts, you know, you can, you can educate the public on meteorology. And so that just helps get the message out there. And what do you see as uh, as the future of, uh, of uh, I guess, forecasting or forecasting um, uh, dangerous and impactful weather? Well, what's what's next? What, I think, what are we, I think we just need to evolve the, the, the warning system and that kind of... I think people are really sort of latching on to that and the naming of storms. It's still in early days. They're not, you know, they're not perfect. Still some elements of the naming of a storm is a pilot season, even this year. Even this year. But it's a fine-tuning of that and, and further developments and, you know, and ultimately still getting better forecasts and being able to narrow things down and being able to model jets... Um, uh, sting jets even better so you can give even more a more detail and the more warning you can give the better we've had a recent sort of large investment 100 million pound or so investment in supercomputing are you seeing that as a as a sort of major uh, advance in, in the forecasting of this of this very dangerous weather it's just improving things just every which way meteorologically speaking no just any elements going into a brand new supercomputer the most powerful weather supercomputer on the planet uh, 14,000 trillion calculations per second you know it, it, it's a beast and yeah it's going to improve weather forecasting generally climate science it will improve everything and yeah weather warnings and severe weather is just is just one element it's just one that, element, but yeah. we'll, you know uh, but that will continue to improve and the way we message things will hopefully continue to, you know no one's sitting here around here in the office thinking oh we've we've nailed this we've done this no it's always being fine-tuned i work in the content team and every day it's like how should we get the message across today so we do this on twitter snapchat you know instagram what are the best channels and you know social media is developing so far you know who's gonna know, who knows what social media will look like even in two or three years time what the next channel will be so we've got to stay ahead of the game so we can get the message out there as much as possible and save lives thanks very much for listening uh if you'd like to give us a review on itunes we'd really appreciate it Uh, and you can email us at mostlyweather at metoffice.gov.uk until next time thanks for listening (laughs) 